You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Years ago, people had that idea that basically everything is covered by insurance. I remember growing up in my home and my mom telling me, hey, that's going to be covered by insurance. Well, that has changed over the years and as high deductible healthcare plans have become a lot more popular in the marketplace, individuals don't think that they need to plan or save for the care that they kind of need. You probably have a solid plan for retirement, but you still might be wondering, did I miss something? Is there something more that I can do right now to secure my future? It is time to find out. Visit planefe.com slash hermoney to schedule a free appointment with a financial advisor today. Hi, everyone. I'm Jean Chatsky. Welcome to Her Money. Very glad to have you along for a very special show about healthcare. Look, we all have big expenses in our lives that we save for because we know that they're coming. We have new appliances, a new roof, a college education. The list goes on. Most of us, four out of five of us, in fact, would not put healthcare expenses into that category. But we need to. That's the results of some new interesting research that we are going to dig into during this show because it's that time of year. Again, it's open enrollment time. And whether you get your health care from one of the exchanges, from your employer, whether you're on Medicare, this is the time that we should be thinking about things like whether we're on the right sort of health plan for us in our particular lives and situations, whether it's time to jump into the world of health savings accounts or HSAs. Maybe even if we want to put some money into a flexible spending account, an FSA for the coming year. And I know it's a lot. All of this is a lot to take in, a lot to think about spending, particularly when we have so many other goals and priorities already lining up for our hard-earned money. But starting to think about these numbers is really the only way to, A, come up with strategies to lower our healthcare costs when we can, B, save some pretty significant money on taxes, and C, make sure we actually have the money for healthcare when we need it. Joining me to dig further into what's happening in the healthcare landscape and how we can pay for and save for healthcare expenses is Beto Casayas. He is CEO of financial health and wealth platform Synchrony, where he focuses on healthcare financing solutions. Beto was born in Puerto Rico. He's a graduate of Yale University. He's joining us today from his home in Southern California. Beto, welcome. Nice to see you. Great to be here, Jean. As we jump in, can you just tell me a little bit about you and Synchrony Health and Wellness? Sure, Jean. Thanks. It's an honor to be here with you. I lead the health and wellness platform within Synchrony, which is a Fortune 200 company with over 90 years of experience in consumer lending. And we've been in the healthcare business for over 35 years, really helping people meet their healthcare financing needs through the Care Credit credit card. We're going to talk more about financing your healthcare needs. I know that many people 
are struck with healthcare expenses that hit them in unexpected ways, and they look for a variety of solutions to come up with the money. Financing is one that people don't really know about. And so we're going to dig into that a little bit later. But before we do that, Synchrony just conducted a study about the lifetime cost of healthcare. Her Money, by the way, partnered with Synchrony to amplify the results of that study, which is one of the things we're doing here on this podcast today. Beto, tell us a little bit about it. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we came out with this, and, and it's a financial partner to patients and providers in the industry. We just felt it was really important to quantify the actual cost of care. We know that consumers out there underestimate the amount of money that they spend on health care. So we wanted to kind of highlight the gaps of what people think what they pay for, actual health care, and what they actually really do. And we found that the lifetime healthcare cost can be in the same range as a mortgage and college tuition. I think we'll talk about how people save for those kind of concerns that they have in their life. And they're massive expenses, but healthcare doesn't hit that list. And so we want to raise the awareness around healthcare costs so that people can better anticipate and really prepare to pay for their healthcare needs now and also in the future. We want to ensure people can get the care that they need when they need it and when they want it. And so we took into consideration all these costs that is an investment that individuals can make on themselves throughout their whole lifetime. I took a look at this research as well, and the numbers, the magnitude of the numbers is very surprising. I'd like to talk about them year by year and then over the course of a lifetime. How much do people think they spend on healthcare each year? This is your unreimbursed healthcare costs. This is not the money that the insurance company pays you back. How much do people think they spend each year and how much do they actually spend each year? Yeah, when we asked our consumers that participated on the survey, they said they spend between $800 and $900 out-of-pocket, what we call out-of-pocket expense, which is above and beyond what you pay perhaps on insurance premiums. In reality, when we find out, we find out that they actually spend close to $2,100, $2,200 a year on out-of-pocket expense, which is a difference of about 145%. So they're underestimating what they think they will spend in their own mind. And when they actually look at their numbers, they're actually spending about 145% more than what they think they actually spent. This is how money just slips through our fingers and how we're unconscious about what we're actually spending on so many things. So they think, you ask them what they spend, they think they spend 800 to $900. They actually spend 2,100. That's remarkable. And over a lifetime, what does that add up to? When we add up on the survey in terms of people that are insured, they pay their yearly premiums, they may be on an employee-sponsored type program, they could spend over their lifetime in terms of that account of money plus the out-of-pocket responsibility that come through co-pays or out-of-pocket expenses after you hit a particular deductible could be as much as $320,000 to $400,000. For those individuals that actually have some private plans. They're not employee-sponsored type friends. They're still insured, but they have to go privately to get the health insurance that they may need and it's applicable for their family. It could be up to $700,000. So again, when you split that in lifetime of 50, 60 years, 
of doing this over time, you're talking thousands of dollars each year that you are spending in healthcare. And you're not really, when we ask folks, are they really spending, or are they putting money aside to anticipate these type of costs? In reality, they're not. And that's part of the reason why we wanted to do this. We wanted to increase the awareness that health expenses are here is something that you must plan ahead of time. And we wanted to kind of raise the awareness around our consumers and patients that it is important to plan ahead. Yeah, I, I've been watching this for years, this shift of responsibility from the insurer or the employer onto the shoulders of the consumer when it comes to paying for your medical care. And what struck me about this research, about the 300 and some thousand dollars for people who do have employer insurance, the 700 for people who don't have employer insurance, is we're not talking about the cost of that surprise medical procedure. We're not talking about caring for your diabetes or your asthma or your other chronic conditions. We're actually just talking about premiums, co-pays, those additional costs when you go to pick up a prescription. This is the stuff that actually should be predictable, which really brings us to the issue of why there's so much medical debt in this country. There's so much medical debt because people are unprepared to meet these expenses when they happen. There was some research published last year in JAMA, the, the Journal of the American Medical Association. It found that Americans owe $140 billion dollars in unpaid medical bills to collection agencies. And, you know, since I've been a reporter for decades now, organizations like the National Consumer Law Center have been reporting that medical debt is the leading cause of bankruptcy in America. So if I'm hearing you, what you're suggesting is that in order to get out ahead of these problems, what we need to do is to think of them like expenses that are coming down the road, like college, like your first home. Is that right? Yeah, I think first, Jean, is people need to realize that I think in the past they thought that health insurance will cover all the medical expenses. And I emphasize all, because I think that was the old way and kind of years ago, people had that idea that basically everything is covered by insurance. I remember growing up in my home and my mom telling me, hey, that's going to be covered by insurance. Well, that has changed over the years. And as high deductible healthcare plans have become a lot more popular in the marketplace, individuals don't think that they need to plan or save for the care that they kind of need. And so they're assuming a larger portion of the responsibility for the cost of their care. So the first thing is realizing, uh-oh, I no longer can rely on a third party to pay for everything that I need on healthcare. I am responsible for paying for some of these costs that I need to be able to take care of my health. And so just realizing that for the first time, then you get into action. Then you can say, okay, now that I know that I have a responsibility for paying for healthcare, what am I going to do about it? And then you recognize that you need to save for it because you don't know how much things are going to be in the future. And it's part of making that health and wellness as part of your life, an important aspect of your life, just like you think perhaps getting a house, saving for a mortgage, saving for your college education or, or your kid's college education, healthcare is as important as those. And so beginning to have people think about that a lot more can get them into action in terms of being able 
to do all that. And there are various ways people can do that, right? Like they can save money on their savings account. If they're part of an employer-sponsored plans, they can get into spending accounts like the healthcare spending accounts, flexible spending accounts, and then all the solutions like Synchrony's care credit card in terms of being able to enable patients pay for things over time and with the flexibility that comes with it to allow to spend certain amount of money and still be committed to their own budget month to month. And so there are ways that that can be done through different financial instruments out there that Synchrony and other banks kind of offer out there, like FSAs, HSAs. So so let's dig into those a little bit, because my audience is very solutions-oriented, right? They like answers, they like tactics. And as we look at the open enrollment period right now, these are the sorts of things that are coming up, the questions about, should I have a high-deductible health plan with an HSA, a health savings account? Should I put money each year into a flexible spending account? When can I use the money that go into these different accounts? So let's take a second and and let's talk through HSAs, FSAs, and then financing and where financing fits. When you look at HSAs, Beto, I, I mean, I'm very conscious. High deductible health insurance is the fastest growing form of health insurance in this country because it's the most it's the most affordable, correct? Yeah, I mean, HSA as well as FSAs are just great options for people to save aside tax-free dollars into an account that they can put in, save it, be managed by the bank, get some interest against it, grow that money that you're saving. And when you actually need to pay for some expenses, you can use that, again, tax-free dollars in an after-tax way to pay for that particular expense from the out-of-pocket portion of your bill. And so when high-deductible healthcare plans come in, you can put thousands of dollars aside. If you happen to have a great year on healthcare that you actually only went to your doctor for your wellness check and for your flu shots and different things that you want to do on a regular basis, for your bill for healthcare that year was not that large, that money saves and you can keep it on that account for other years where perhaps you may actually need to withdraw and pay for an unexpected healthcare expense. And and the flexibility on the HSAs and the FHAs is great because you can use it for multiple areas and things that you can do. And again, you're doing it in a very tax advantage way in terms of the accounts, how those set up. Yeah, Those have limits, right? As you know, there are limits that you can put seven to $8,000 a year against it. If you need to go beyond that, you can always go into a high yield savings account. Yeah. I want to actually just dig in just a little further on these because I know from the questions that we get in our mailbag, there's a lot of confusion around HSAs and FSAs specifically because they sound so much alike. So let me just explain. An FSA is a flexible spending account. And If you have an employer that offers you a flexible spending account, you can take some money out of your paycheck, you can put it away pre-tax, and you can use that money to pay for medical care that is unreimbursed, as well as dependent care that is unreimbursed. They're two different flexible spending accounts. Health savings accounts are 
a little bit different. You're only eligible to open a health savings account if you have a high deductible health care policy. And then, as Beto said, you put away pre-tax dollars into a health savings account. The amount that you're able to put in, it, it's close to $4,000 for a single individual. It's close to double that for a family. That money can be invested while it's in there. It can be invested and it grows tax-free. And then when you use it for qualified medical expenses down the road, you can pull the money out of the account without paying additional taxes on it. It has the effect, if you just run money through the HSA, of saving you about 25% on any medical expense. So it's great if you use it the year that you put the money in. But as Beto said, if you don't need to use the money the year that you put it in, then you can invest it. And then your HSA can become essentially a supplemental retirement account. And you can pull the money out down the road whenever you need it for medical procedures, but as long as you, or other medical expenses, but as long as you save your receipts for medical expenses that you've incurred along the way that you just paid for out of cash flow, you can write those off, essentially bingo them against the money that you pull out of the HSA so that you don't have to pay taxes. So when you hear people talk about HSAs as being triple tax free, then you understand what we're talking about. It goes in, it grows, it comes out all tax free. The one thing to keep in mind about HSAs and FSAs is that you can't use them at the same time. And so you're going to have to pick your battles. But even if you have a regular health plan that's not high deductible, an FSA can be a valuable weapon in helping you save some tax dollars, especially on unreimbursed health care. Sometimes, though, you just don't have the money, right? You just don't have the money. And I think back, Beto, to when I was a kid. My dad was a college professor. We lived nicely, but certainly weren't wealthy. And I had a horrible overbite and a big gap in my two front teeth. I was able to, if I went to the swimming pool in the summer, I could blow a fountain that you would not believe. It was a thing of beauty, but I needed braces like nobody's business. And my parents could not afford the couple thousand dollars for braces just by writing a check. Like that was not in the realm of possibility. But the orthodontist, like many orthodontists in those days, offered a payment plan where my parents for the two-ish years that I had braces and a headgear, by the way, which was a total pain in the ass, my parents paid it off over time. When I think about your financing solutions, the CARE credit card, that is very much like the payment plan that my parents used to pay for my orthodonture. And as I understand it, you often don't have to pay any interest at all on these payment plans. You make a monthly payment, and as long as you pay it off within the time that you're given, no interest is charged. It's the provider that is paying the interest, essentially, or the provider that's paying the cost of this financing. 
I'm sure I did not do as good a job as you could of explaining this, but can you sort of tell us where this fits in the realm of helping people afford medical care? Yeah, sure. I think you explained it really well there, but let me just add a couple of things. You mentioned, unlike most other care cards, care credit does offer consumers option for promotional, what we call promotional financing, which you mentioned allows the consumer the ability to avoid paying interest charges on the amount financed. So in your case, you may have had a $2,500 orthodontia bill that your parents had to pay for, and they did it on a payment plan. What Care Credit brought into the industry was for us being able to take that risk. Instead of the provider as a small business lending that money themselves and, and not really having the expertise to really underwrite consumers out there, they take the whole risk. Instead, using us, that allows them for them to really focus on the patient, focus on the, on the diagnosis, taking care of the patient from a medical standpoint, and then allows for us to kind of handle the billing and the payment side of that particular transaction over a course of 6, 12, 18, 24 months. So the way it works is we basically do that with all the providers. We're basically able to finance the provider from that standpoint and then give the consumer the flexibility of payments over 6, 12, 18, 24 months with no interest charge on those purchases. And most of the consumers out there, every percent of them really pay their transactions on time and, and pay their transaction within the allotment amount of time, which really what it becomes is really a kind of an interest-free loan for that amount. So when they make their payments over 24 months within the allotted amount of time, they're really not paying any interest. And about 80% of our consumers actually do that. So it's a great opportunity for consumers being able to do that from that standpoint and great for the provider to be able to finance that particular procedure with us because they get their money in two days. And as you said, they pay for part of the cost of that as a merchant discount rate uh, back to us. But it's very beneficial for them because they really spend most of their time in terms of caring for the patient, the diagnosis and what they need to do from a medical standpoint without worrying about how the patient is actually going to pay for by using care credit. So a couple of follow-up questions. Does everybody get interest-free terms or is it credit score dependent? We underwrite from an ability to pay standpoint. We're a responsible lender from that standpoint that we allow for that consumer to let us know their specific information and approve them for credit. Once we approve them for credit, then there are several options that that particular provider, depending on the practice, will offer. And as long as it's purchased above $200, there will be some form of promotional financing, depending on the length. It could be six months, 12 months, 18 months, 24 months. And the offer is really 0% financing and deferred interest payments in terms of that piece. And as long as you pay that amount over the course of the 18 or 24 months, that the allowed amount of time, you will not pay any interest on that particular balance. What if you don't pay? Where I worry is if you don't pay the couch off, right? And you finance the couch for 24 months and you haven't paid it off, then at the end, you have to pay all the interest. Is that how this works as well? Yeah. So the way it works will be if you had to, a consumer that have to revolve, so they had to take more time to make those payments. They couldn't do them in 24 months. They have to do them in 30 or 36 months. What's going to happen is basically not any different than if you put that 
purchase in a regular credit card account and you intend to revolve from the beginning. So we will only charge you interest on the amount that you're actually financing. If you're making payments throughout the life of that particular 24 months, 36 months, whatever you take, we're not charging you interest on the whole first amount. As you pay down your balance, you're only getting charged interest on the loan that you're actually taking. And so it's not particularly any different than if you actually made a $2,000 purchase and you start revolving that from the beginning of that particular transaction. In the CARE credit card, what we allow you to do is give you the opportunity that for the first 24 months, you can actually have the opportunity to pay that off and not pay any interest and have the opportunity to do that. And a high number of customers actually are able to do that. As I mentioned earlier, over 80% of them are able to do that. If you go to an orthodontist and that orthodontist doesn't offer this credit card or a financing solution, how do you then use it? If you go to a provider where this is not on their menu? Yeah, I mean, it's sad to share this, but our own customers have told us that over 43% have told us that if they didn't have a choice like care credit, they would not have either gone forward with the procedure and or delayed the procedure or care, which is really what's troublesome here. So we really encourage giving some choice to the consumer to either put them on a credit card, either find third-party financiers like us to being able to put it over a longer horizon of time, having promotional financing products, having installment that you can do it over a close-end type loan, and being able to say yes to the procedure, knowing what you need to pay for the care that you need, and moving forward with the recommended procedure that your doctor is recommending. Rather than almost half of our customer told us if care credit did not exist at that provider, they basically would have said no, not gone forward with the procedure, or they may have delayed it 6, 12, 18 months until they were able to save enough for being able to do that. So really, we encourage the having the flexibility and the options to give choice to the consumer and the patients to make their choice on how they want to pay for things. You know, this brings up a a subject that gets tough for a lot of people, which is talking about payment at a doctor, right? And that's not the easiest thing for a lot of people to step into. So I want you to think about for a second how you would advise people to start having these conversations about money with your doctor or even with the doctor's staff. And while you think about it, I just want to remind everybody that retirement is a big deal. Medical costs are a big deal, but retirement is also a big deal. And since women live longer, we have to make our savings last longer, which means we have to plan smarter. Visit edelmanfinancialengines.com slash hermoney to schedule a free appointment with an advisor. You can get a fresh look at your finances and work with experts to help you create a plan to build, grow, protect, and preserve your wealth for the retirement of your dreams. Get started at planefb.com slash hermoney and speak with an advisor today. I'm talking to Beto Kaseya, CEO of health and wellness platform Synchrony. All right. I asked you a tough question, Beto. How do you get yourself to start these conversations about money at a doctor? I mean, I think particularly for people who put their medical practitioners on a pedestal, this is really hard. 
It is, and it hasn't been as part of our DNA in terms of being able to have these conversations from where we came from. And so the first step really comes from having these open conversations with your provider about cost. This research that we put out, I think it shows the realities of the current financial landscape when it comes to healthcare. So I think we spoke earlier around the days of having all the medical costs being covered by insurance. That's in the past, and I think that's a big piece of all of us being able to be aware, and we all need to be better able to understand the costs we face as consumers in healthcare. So in some cases, you know, a provider may be able to provide a discount rate or some sort of financial assistance, depending on the provider and the patient ability to pay for services, that's always an option. But just having the conversation, having the dialogue, seeing what the options are, and then making a choice as to what you're able to do. Again, I think the key here is that this is becoming a lot more, want to become a more common conversation, an open and honest conversation with your provider is key from the beginning, really to ensure the best outcome, not only from a medical clinical standpoint, but also financially. Yeah. We talk a lot too about emergency cushions on this show. And one of the things that this research made me really question was When you set up an emergency savings account, we always like to tell people that money should be separate, right? If it's separate, you're less likely to dig into it when it's not a true emergency. Do you think that there should be a separate account for healthcare expenses? Should we be using what we've learned from behavioral finance about mental accounting, about how it's helpful to have funds earmarked for particular purposes and applying that to healthcare? I think it is. I just think it's not there yet, Gene, and that's why we're we're talking about this in our conversation here. It's an unexpected expense that is going to happen. Uh, we're all biological beings and human beings. So I think you would agree that it's a good idea to build an emergency fund. I think you've spoken about, about that and written about that tremendously on on your blogs and your written materials. And I think healthcare qualifies in that type of environment, whether it's an emergency fund, because you know you may need to keep six months of living expenses because of unexpected things that may happen with your job. Same here, treat some of that as part of what you need to treat in terms of an emergency and having certain amount of money earmarked towards healthcare, knowing that you have it there will actually give you a lot less stress going over through it and knowing that if you actually have an emergency, you have somewhere to leverage and have a source that you can come and be able to be much more prepared. All right. Last question. I know when we talk about trying to rein in our health care costs, I mean, one of the things that we can do is simply try to stay healthy, right? We watch what we eat. We get enough exercise. We don't smoke ever. But other than those essentials, what's at the top of your list? Top quick three takeaways that people can do to lower or at least prepare for their healthcare expenses going forward. You know, I think I would summarize it on on first. I think the employer sponsored flexible spending accounts, the FSA, the healthcare savings accounts, the HSA. Those need to be explored, and there are multiple healthcare financing options that connect their health and financial well-being all into one. So setting these tax-free savings accounts are really beneficial and really the first step that I would encourage everyone to do for those that are in employer-type sponsored. If not, if you don't have that, 
obviously developing a plan to have emergency funds for specifically for medical costs, just like people may do for other areas, whether it's a mortgage, whether it's college expense. Setting aside money towards medical expenses is probably another option to be able to do that. You can do that through a high yield savings accounts. They usually don't have any minimum deposit and they're good places to kind of store medical emergency funds outside of your cash flow of having a checking account that you use on a day-to-day basis. Kind of separate it there, be there, don't touch it and leave it away from your day-to-day sources. And then last but not least, there are opportunities in terms of healthcare specific credit cards, just like Care Credit, where people choose and prefer promotional financing to bring the flexibility of payments, being able to borrow money at a very reasonable or no interest rate, and being able to budget out over time when they are faced with an unexpected medical bill and not have the HSA, the FSA, or savings in their bank, being able to provide that financing for those providers that are able to do that. So those are clearly those three things that come into bringing certain sources for you to get the care that you need and being able to kind of care for your wellness in a different way by setting money aside or using financial tools to get the care that you need when you need it. Beto Casayas, thank you so much for this open enrollment education. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much, Jean. Have a great rest of your week. You too. Before we jump back in, let me just remind everyone that Her Money is also supported by BCU. BCU is a credit union providing a wide array of financial products and services for its members. And if you're currently exploring the auto market, it's good to know that BCU offers financing and refinancing options, as well as an exclusive auto buying service to save you both time and money. You can learn more at bcu.org. Her Money's Catherine Tuggle joins me now for our mailbag. Hey, Catherine. Hey, Jean. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I've got to say, like, discussions about open enrollment always make me feel like I haven't done as much work as I should have done just to make sure that I'm in the right options for me. And I don't even have that many choices. I mean, I get my my health insurance through SAG-AFTRA, through the union. And so I think I have two choices, maybe, and I've been in the same plan for a long time. But what we know about open enrollment is that most people punt. Most people each year just continue to do what they did the year before. But because employers change their lineups, because plans on the exchange also change, it's really important to sit down and if you do have choices in particular, spend an hour or two hours going through the options and making sure that you're getting the right health insurance for you and your family at the right cost. Yeah, it's such a great point. In one of my previous jobs, there was a colleague of mine who was from the UK, and it was his first job in the US, and he knew nothing about our healthcare system other than that it was like a complete quagmire to navigate. And I sat down with him one day, and I was like, we're going to figure this out. We're going to get you in the right plan. And my goal was just to spell it out for him step by step by step. And honestly, like I ended up changing my plan. Wow. Because I actually was forced to sit down with him and look at all the options. And I fully believe that if I hadn't done that, if I had just gone about my usual rote, check this box here, 
I would have ended up in the wrong plan. So it's kind of crazy what you find when you do sit down and make the effort to really look at it. Yeah. And it's a big nut each year. I mean, the survey that Beta was talking about found the average person spends $2,100 a year in unreimbursed costs. So I think it's worth the time. And if people are looking for the time to spend on choosing a health plan, I have a suggestion because I spent the long Thanksgiving weekend, Black Friday, into Small Business Saturday into Cyber Monday, unsubscribing from every email that I didn't want to receive. So I, I, over the course of every year, accumulate so many emails. I get on so many different lists. I think I've unsubscribed from about 150 to 200 lists. And my email box is a joy. Like my email box takes me (laughs) so much less time than it did going into the Thanksgiving weekend. I must be saving a good 15 minutes a day. So take that time, spend it shopping for healthcare. I love that advice. Yeah, you are shopping for healthcare, right? Like I think that phrase hits the nail on the head. It's not just something that, you know, hopefully is not forced upon you, right? Like hope everybody has some sort of a choice in their plans, even if it's a limited choice and you should treat it as such. Yeah. And I also think that this unsubscribing from emails is going to save me a lot of money because I'm a lemming, right? I get an email, particularly an email about a sale and I follow the breadcrumbs and now I won't be getting those emails. So I won't know about those sales. So I'll spend less money. I love that. That has to go into like the Her Money Highlights reel. Jean saying I'm a lemming. (laughs) I'm right there with you. Sad but true. All right. I'm a lemming (laughs) who would like to answer some questions. Yes. I'm a lemming who will follow you right off the cliff into the mailbag. Our questions today come to us from members of our private Her Money Facebook group. The first is, hello. I live in a family home owned by my mother. There's a mortgage with 49,000 principal left at 5.2%. She pays $691 a month, including taxes and insurance. We have a transfer upon death deed for the home that will go to me. I've been living rent-free for two years and putting my own money into the home for anything that needs fixing and some updates. I also pay for utilities. My husband and I plan to stay here for a few more years and then turn it into a rental. My mother's monthly payment is increasing and becoming more financially straining for her. Would it be better for me to have her sign over the home to me now so I can take over the payments? Would I possibly be able to refinance for a lower rate, although rates are increasing? My husband and I both have good credit. Buying from her seems illogical since it's already needed to me upon death, but I would love any advice you have. Thank you. So I'm trying to read between the lines in terms of this question. When you say that your mother's payment is going up, I assume that she's got an adjustable rate mortgage that has been held low because interest rates have been so low. And now that rates have started to climb, her interest rate has climbed to 5.2%. Question about whether you should try to refinance this is a good one, but right now you're not going to save much. If you were looking at a 30-year fixed rate mortgage, the interest rate is already higher than the 5.2%. It's at closer to 
8% and change, a 15-year mortgage is at around 6%. You could get into an arm like this, particularly a hybrid arm that would keep the first five to seven to 10 years artificially lower. You could probably get into a rate of around 5% that would hold steady there. But I don't know that I would do anything like that immediately. If, on the other hand, it is taxes and insurance that are causing the payment to go up, then there's very little that you can do about that except for grieving the taxes, which may be a step that you want to go through if you haven't done it in the past. I grieved my property taxes at my last home a couple of times and did save significant money. As far as having your mother sign over the home to you now so that you could take over the payment, I likely wouldn't. I would probably talk to an estate planning attorney about this before you do anything. But because of the way that the tax system works, when your mother dies, you get a step up in basis on the value of this home. In other words, you become the owner at the amount that the home is valued as of the day of her death, rather than the amount that she paid for it. That may save you significantly when it comes time for you and your husband to eventually sell this home, because the gain on the home will not be as significant as it would have when your mother originally purchased it. And so I'd get some estate planning slash tax advice before you do that. What you could do is just help your mother out with the additional money that she needs to make it affordable to you. You're eligible to gift your mother up to $16,000 in change every single year. Your husband is eligible to do the same. There's going to be no taxes owed if the two of you just step in and help her as she needs the help. And it sounds like that is something that you can afford to do. And living rent-free gives you the ability to both do that and breathe a little bit easier. But it sounds like a nice plan to generate some rental income. And so eventually down the road, I hope your mother lives for a good long time and is in very good health. But I wish you luck with all of that. Yeah, definitely. Our second question is, I need to find a top forensic accountant in California. How do I find one that's highly rated? And what questions should I ask to qualify this person? Thank you. Oh boy, this sounds like somebody who is going through a divorce. So if that assumption is correct, I am really sorry for what is going on in your life right now. And I hope that it's not too contentious, but I suspect that when a forensic accountant, which is an accountant that is trained to specializes in finding hidden assets is called into the picture, the picture is usually a messy one. I would go through the people who deal with forensic accountants all the time, and those are divorce lawyers and divorce financial planners. A good divorce attorney should have a great forensic accountant on speed dial. 
And even if you don't have a divorce attorney or a divorce financial planner in your life right now, you could still pick up the phone and call divorce attorneys and ask for recommendations for forensic accountants. That's how I would find one. I would then ask them, as I would any other financial professional, about their experience. And you're looking for somebody who has handled multiple cases similar to yours. You also want to make sure that you have an understanding of what this is going to cost you. Forensic accountants are very highly specialized. They are hundreds of dollars an hour in most cases. In New York and California, it's not unusual for them to cost well over $500 an hour. And so I would try to get a sense of the scope of work that you're asking them to do and how much you should plan on being billed for whatever you're asking of them. And then you weigh it. You weigh the cost of having the forensic accountant do the digging against the amount of money that you believe that you're going to find. And you make a call about whether or not you think that this is something that is worthwhile. But again, I'm really sorry that this is going on in your life. If you're looking for a divorce planner or a divorce financial advisor, there is an association called the Association of Divorce Financial Planners. Go figure. And you can find them at divorcefinancialplanner.org. Amazing, Jean. Yeah, sometimes you just have to find the right resource. Yeah, I mean, I sadly work with forensic accountants every single day. So they know what they're talking about. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. And in today's Thrive, you've heard me talk time and time again these past few months about the upcoming recession, which may or may not be upcoming, and how all of us have to stay calm and buckle down for some challenging times ahead. But today I've got some good news to share, and it's that women are overwhelmingly prepared to weather a recession if it comes our way and come out of it stronger. That's what we found in our latest State of Women 2022 survey, which Her Money does in partnership with the Alliance for Lifetime Income. We asked more than a thousand women how they're feeling about the future, and more than two thirds say they do see a recession on the horizon. But even though so many are worried, we are doubling down on retirement savings. More than 90% of the women that we surveyed plan to maintain or increase our 401k and IRA contributions. Another way we're planning is by putting off big purchases in 2023. And all of this is exactly what we should be doing right now, keeping our savings rate up, holding on to our investments so they have the chance to grow once again, which they almost certainly will, and most importantly, keeping our sights locked on our long-term goals. Our study also found that women want to be in control of our finances, our careers, and our time. Four out of five of us prefer making financial decisions versus deferring to a partner to make those decisions, and half of us want to be the primary breadwinner of our households. When it comes to our careers, many of us value our time and mental health over money. We'd rather earn 10% less and have 10% more time than the other way around, and we'd also rather earn less money in a low-stress job than take on a stressful job 
to earn more. If you're listening to this and this sounds like you, remember that your time is also a benefit that you can negotiate at your job. You can ask for more than just a raise, more vacation days, more flexible hours, more hours working from home. These are all on the table. If you want to learn more about the State of Women 2022 study and how women are thinking about our finances today, you can find it at hermoney.com. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Beto Casillas for his insight on the future of healthcare. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk soon. Thank you.